you have tuned in to the Sports Docket with Ace Man and the Cross, the best sports radio show on Blog Talk Radio.
while you're um, reading the newspaper, having lunch, uh, while you're in a hockey state of mind, uh, you can um, go over to blogtalkradio.com slash sports time with Mark and Evan. It's one of the longest links in the world, but you're going to be in for a great show as Rangers broadcaster Kenny Albert will make his second appearance on the program. So you definitely want to um, stay tuned for that. Uh, Kenny Albert's going to give them inside information. Uh, the practice is going to be that morning, and uh, players um, and uh, the um, fans and just only select members of the press are allowed to uh, partake in these in this practice, not play in the practice, of course, but they're allowed to watch the practice between the Rangers and the Devils. It'll be before game three. So you you want to uh, check it out. Uh, Kenny Albert's going to and it's 15 minutes with uh, Mark and Evan. His second um, time on the program. This time would be, be more hockey. Last time it was more so baseball. Um, and uh, that would be the bottom line. So uh, Vic Zegel will be joining us momentarily here on the docket. And uh, we'll wait for him to come on uh, on our program this afternoon. Maybe if the interview is really good, we'll play it back next week. Uh, on our show. Actually, next week, uh, we're going to see how we're going to work that out. But um, Stephen is going to actually be, um, not Stephen, I'm going to be in Atlanta. I'm going to be in Atlanta for the National Chess Championship. So uh, that Thursday night, I'll be in Atlanta. So uh, I may be doing the show for Atlanta. I'm going to be going to a Braves game down there with uh, the team. So I'll have some fun in that game. I'll be wearing my Mets hat there. I'll hope to Stay away from any rowdy fans. And uh, we're proud to welcome to the program now, joining us, uh, New York Daily News reporter, Vic Zegel. And Vic, thanks, thanks so much for joining us today. You're welcome. Here. Glad to be here. Great. Um, before I get to anything else, of course, um, a, couple, a couple of years ago, uh, you published a book, Summer in the City, uh, New York Baseball, 1947 to 1957. And for the select few who haven't heard about the book, uh, just tell me a little bit about what the book covers. Obviously, it covers uh, the golden age of baseball um, here in, in the Big Apple. But yeah, it was, an, it was an amazing 10, 11-year stretch where just about every year there was a New York team in the World Series. This is back in the day when uh, New York had uh, two National League teams, the Dodgers and the Giants, and, of course, the uh, ubiquitous Yankees. And uh, <laughs> They played in a lot of World Series, and it was a really, really jumping time because the Dodger-Giant rivalry was uh, unlike anything uh, that existed in sports. It was really rough, and uh, uh, not just in the uh, name-calling or what have you, but, I mean, uh, they really got into it. Um, The Yankees and Red Sox still have a little way to go. Definitely. Now, I didn't have the uh, the privilege, of course, living during this decade, but um, I, I'm lucky that I have parents uh, who um, who grew up in this decade and were were big fans of of a New York team uh, during this time period. And they always they, they tell me stories about uh, this select decade. And what really makes this decade special, aside from the fact that it started off with the Yankees ringing off a couple of the World Series wins in the late '40s to um, the sad um, part of the Dodgers and Giants leaving for, um, for California. But what, was, what do you think was the big um, 
which made this decade really special? Was it the names of the players? Was it the stadiums? Was it the great moments? What do well, you think? the stadiums were, you know, part of it. I mean, if you're a Dodger fan, you'll swear by old Ebbets Field, <laughs> and if you're a Giant fan, the the weird-looking, uh, hardly beautiful, but very unique polo grounds, uh, which never had a polo game in it. It was just named for a former uh, polo field. Uh, people people love their stadiums. The polo grounds, by the way, was the only uh, baseball stadium in baseball history where you could walk in from above. The, wow. <laughs> the stadium was built on a kind of height, on an incline, uh, and there was a park, a city park above it, and if you walked through the steps of the park and crossed the street, you would be coming out at the very top of the polo grounds, and you could just walk right in uh, the gate. So city and of course, um, Mets fans got to experience that for two years um, when they went to the stadium. But um, now, um, before we get back to the book, of course, um, obviously this season the Yankees and Mets will be saying goodbye to their stadiums. Um, do you think that Shea Stadium will ever live up to the same aura that, well, obviously not Yankee Stadium, but like stadium like Ebbets Field on the Polo Grounds had, or do you think it's it's not going to um, be remembered? Obviously there were great moments there and uh, great experiences there, but, but do you think it will live up to the same the same type of, you know, the same type of um, nostalgia recognition. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, nostalgia, yeah. Frankly, I, I don't think so. You know, Shea Stadium, uh, let me start with, with way back. The Dodgers and Giants, the Polar Grounds and Ebbets Field, they were, they were built at a time when no two ballparks in the big leagues looked alike. I mean, everybody had a, a different look. There was Yankee Stadium, there was uh, Fenway Park, there was the Cubs, uh, but even the old stadiums, uh, Crosley Field in Cincinnati, they had uh, a unique look. Crosley Field had a, a slight hill in the outfield. So the outfielders who, when they had to play a long fly, they'd have to climb, literally climb the hill. Uh, uh, every park was different. When Chase Stadium came along, and it was certainly great to have a new ballpark in New York, but it was at a time when ballparks were sort of cookie-cutter shaped. All the new ballparks built around that time seemed to be very similar. Uh, uh, Dodger Stadium was the first of the new ballparks at that time, and Shea Stadium is 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 a poor... I'm afraid to say, a poor imitation of Dodger Stadium. Uh, there's nobody thinking of replacing Dodger Stadium. It's still a tremendous ballpark. But Chase Stadium has kind of you know, shown the wear and tear of years. Uh, they clearly needed uh, something new. Uh, not, that, not that their attendance was you know, really affected. God, they had over 3 million people last year. But Chase Stadium had kind of worn out its welcome. Yeah, I think also with the uh, when the new stadiums came around in the '60s, I think before that the stadiums were more um, kids. It kind of reminded the, the kids of that time, like when they played stickball, the, the setup of the stadiums. And then when these new stadiums came around, uh, they became more commercialized. I think so. You think that was also a big factor? Well, you know, I mean, if you're a fan, you're gonna you're gonna be in love with your stadium. Nobody thinks 
Oh, not too many people think that their ballpark is a dog. You know, I mean, you'd like to believe that, you you know, you, you, you think warmly of your new ballpark. You'd like to go there. Although, you know, Yankee Stadium is steeped in so much history and uh, brilliant players. Um, it's hard to compare the two. No matter what you think of the Yankees or Mets, whoever you root for, you got to admit that Yankee Stadium's got uh, quite an edge. Uh, no question about that. Of course, been being around since uh, 1923 and, and all of that. But of course, you know a lot of people um, who I know who have uh, read through um, the book that you published also said, aside from the content, it was the photos that really caught them the most. You know the old phrase, "The picture's worth a thousand words." And you know, I mean, um, aside from the fact that these photos bring back great memories to the uh, to the um, fans who lived during this. Uh, who are who grew up during this time period? Um, what do you think this holds for kids nowadays who you know didn't grow up during this time period and kind of lose uh, what, what baseball really means? They kind of lose the um, the uh, religion that is baseball. Uh, what do you think uh, this book will um, impact on them? Well, I mean, you can appreciate you know excitement in in photos. Uh, the photographers of that era were actually allowed on the field. They weren't. Uh, they didn't have the modern equipment that the guys Not today have, but they were allowed on the field, and they they could get shots that aren't really available to uh, photographers today. Although they do have, you know, uh, long range lenses and uh, God okay. knows what else. Uh, <laughs> they don't miss too much because they're forever snapping. But the old photographers knew how to get how to conserve their film and get the shots uh, that worked. Uh, so that's that's pretty special. The photographs are the best thing about the book. They just invoke that period, uh, that 10-year period, so beautifully. And, of course, um, the last photos of Ebbets Field and and uh, the uh, polo ground, the Giants and uh, Dodgers leaving, of course, would, would um, add to those memories that the fans have of their ballparks. Yep, yep. I I was at a meeting uh, last night of a giant uh, old-timers society, a group of guys who still want to reminisce about the giants and long for the good old days, and they still meet a couple of times a year, and I went up there and uh, met them, and a good group of guys, uh, giant fans like myself, and one fella had a a video uh, of... 17 minutes of on-the-field action, players talking, players running around. He went to the last game at the Polar Grounds, and he, and, he, and he filmed with a 16-millimeter camera, color, 17 or 18 minutes of uh, that scene at the last day of the Polar Grounds okay. in 1957. Now, of course, I'm getting back to that. Actually, now that I found it that you're a Giants fan, I have two questions. Uh, two-part question: uh, When the Giants left, uh, did you um, did you go over to become a Yankees fan, or did you um, or just wait for another National League team? And um, my second question is: uh, uh, Did you root for Willie Mays when he played for the Mets? When he played for the Mets, yeah. Well, I rooted for him when he played for the Giants. Of course, he was. Uh, there's a famous line from a great newspaper columnist who's uh, since gone. 
he wrote for the Post, and that was my original New York paper. Mm-hmm. Murray Kempton was his name, and Murray wrote that Willie Mays was the only thing the rich have ever promised the poor and delivered on. And and it was so true. I mean, Willie was almost immediately the greatest ball player anybody had ever seen. You know, usually you've got to earn that over, you know, a number of years. Not Willie. Took him a couple yeah. of years and everybody knew it. And but you know, before Jimmy Rollins had his big year last year, I think uh, Willie Mays was the only guy uh with the twenty uh twenty um triples, twenty home runs, twenty stolen bases in one year. Yeah, and he did it in less games of course. Mhm. Oh yeah, I think what, eight less games or so? Eight less games. That's right. Yeah. Um but I was a giant fan and um when they left town it really it really stunned me. It just broke my heart. I refused to believe it. And when the headlines, you know, let you know what had happened. No, I didn't root for anybody else. And very soon after that, I began working at the Post. And I was in this sort of, you know, a copy boy, young guy. And mm-hmm. uh, it, it, I didn't need to be a fan anymore. I was, I was in the business. You know, you can't exactly root for the Yankees and write about them at the same time. No, yeah. But, of course, now that um, we're on this topic of, of New York baseball, um, I just want to go over to um, you recently pu- uh, published a column about Nelson Figueroa, who uh, just so fitting will make his first start today, uh, first start tonight as a New York Met. Um, and I'm just wondering, you know, if, um, what can Mets fans really expect from Nelson Figueroa? We know he's a Brooklyn boy. He grew up, went to went to Lincoln High School. He um, came up in the Mets farm system, played at Brooklyn. Uh, what do you think, uh, the, as Mets fans, we're going to expect from Nelson Figueroa uh, and um, what we should see from him? Well, Nelson's a, he's a professional pitcher. I, I believe he's 33, maybe 34. Uh, he's been with several different major league teams. Uh, he's never been a, what you'd call a consistent winner, but he he knows how to pitch. He's got uh, his 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 out pitch. His best pitch is the fork ball. Uh, I'm sure he'd like to establish that early tonight. Um, it'll be interesting to see what he what he does. He very much wants to do well. I mean he. He didn't start the season with the Mets. He was cut on the last day of spring training, something that's happened to him before. And well, yeah, it's uh, almost like the door opened up after Pedro went down, and and now Nelson right. is called in really to to be um, almost the stopper and the, the guy that the Mets can look to in that fifth spot until Duque is ready to go. So Nelson has a lot to prove tonight. He could do himself an awful lot of good. By uh, you know giving the Mets innings, uh, giving the Mets a nice performance, and if you know, and, and they don't have to necessarily win, they, he just has to sort of impress them and, and make them confident that he can do the job. Definitely, and obviously, you know, during that decade we were touched on before, in 1947 to 1957, uh, there were a lot of local, um, a lot of local kids playing on on the New York baseball teams, and Nelson, of course, uh, is a local kid. What, is, what do you think it does for 
I mean, it's obviously got to be a dream come true. But what do you think it does for a local kid uh, to to eventually play on the team he grew up watching? Well, Nelson, you know, I met Nelson in spring training, and uh, I sat and talked with him, and uh, it was like talking to a guy you've known for 20 years. <laughs> he's, he's instantly, uh, he's very friendly, he's very outgoing, uh, he's got a terrific sense of humor, uh, he can tell a good story. Uh, he, he's really a sports writer's dream. I mean, it, it, I, it's it's no secret, I'm afraid, that not everybody on the Mets and Yankees uh, wants to share their time with uh, guys asking them questions and writing down answers. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, uh, and with such good guys, I don't get it. But, <laughs> but Nelson Nelson does get it, and uh, you know he was glad to talk, and he was interesting. After Lincoln, by the way, he got a scholarship, and not a academic, not a uh, athletic scholarship, but a primarily academic scholarship because he was a great, great student at uh, Lincoln to Brandeis University, which is wow. a, a really quality school uh, that's not steeped in athletics at all. And maybe you know he would have uh, been more noticed by scouts pitching for. Uh, traditional baseball college power, but he, he wanted an education, and he finished Brandeis, he graduated, and he uh, was glad to be there. He made a lot of friends, and I just got an email from uh, his former English teacher telling me what a terrific uh, guy Nelson was. So wow. he, this is really a sweet story, and, and you got to be rooting for the guy. You, you just yeah, have to. You know, especially um, everybody's got to be rooting for no, I mean, it was like when you had um, other players come up uh, before, like when Paul Duca was here, they rooting for him because he grew up, you know, watching, he grew up uh, watching the Mets. It, anytime you have this this local kid who comes, plays for uh, really his dream team, you always want to root for them and hope that they uh, do the best they can do on the field. Yeah, and, and being from New York, they, they kind of get it, you know, they, they're not intimidated by the atmosphere. Uh, they're good people. Uh, Lee Mazzilli uh, was a good guy. He was a New York guy. Um, I'm, I'm just blanking on other recent uh, Met players who were grew up in the New York area. But generally, they they're uh, quite friendly. And uh, uh, the Yankees uh, don't have too many guys from the New York area. Uh, but when they do, uh, they're they're fine. They get it. Well, the Yankees do have uh, one player from New York area who has done a tremendous job. Of course, that's A-Rod, um, has fit in you know, very nicely there. But I think, you know, you know, when you have uh, the New York players um, come in and perform, as you said, they, they don't get intimidated. They're ready to show the fans what they can do. Oh, yeah. They're, you know, they're really uh, cooperative and, and, and media savvy, and uh, we've always enjoyed having them around. They're definitely, of course, they are very receptive. Uh, getting back to this era, um, and uh, when when it's all said and done, and when Shea Stadium and Yankee Stadium come to a close, when the um, when the fans rush to take the last seat, the last memories of of these fields that um, um, of these fields after they get demolished, uh, of course, Yankee Stadium is going to be remembered uh, tremendously. But as you said before, with Shea Stadium. I mean, you have the great moments there, but really, as you said before, Shea Stadium didn't 
it didn't really have that same type of feel that these old stadiums have. And what do you think is the reason for that? Well, Shea Stadium had four World Series. I think I think I got that right. While the Yankees have had what you know, twenty-four. Uh, so Definitely. you've got so much more history. Uh, you know, Babe Ruth. You know, the, yeah, the Mets Gehrig, yeah. don't even you know Lou Gehrig, Babe Ruth, Joe DiMaggio, Mickey Mantle, uh, Whitey Ford, Yogi Berra, Lefty Gomez. I mean, there's Bill Dickey. I mean, there's baseball greats. The Pantheon uh, played at Yankee Stadium. And the Mets, hey, they had some very nice players. Tom Seaver, and now I'm starting to slow down. Um, They just don't have that kind of historical uh, aura about them. Uh, But But again, if you're a a Mets fan, Shea Stadium is is your place, and you'll be nostalgic about it when it's gone. Yeah, I I think Mike Francesa, I think he called Yankee Stadium the cathedral. You know, it's like when you go there, it's like almost like a religious experience, you know, when he went there as a kid. So I think really, I mean, that's I mean, that's a big difference between uh, the two ballparks. Um, but, of course, you know, Shea is going to be remembered for some of its memories. But now that we're kind of devi- deviating into a new era, it, I'm sure a lot of – I'm sure you have fears about this. A lot of other um, people from your generation are afraid that maybe the, that some of the – old baseball talk was going to be lost as newer stadiums are built. How do you think you can keep up um, this history? Well, Shea Stadium, when it was new, was, you know, certainly attractive and everybody liked it. Mm-hmm. it. It got kind of worn down a little too quickly. Um, and there were some incredibly bad teams that played there. Uh, at the, the first group of teams, Again, in the 70s, uh, the Mets have had some incredibly awful uh, dry spells. Not that the Yankees haven't. Uh, from the mid-60s uh, till the uh, mid-70s, they were pretty terrible. And, I mean, you're not supposed to play in the World Series every year. You're not supposed to even make the playoffs every year. Uh, uh, the notion that Joe Torre let Yankee fans down by not getting them back to the World Series I find that laughable. Uh, maybe it's because, as, as you know, I was a Giant fan, and we <laughs> we didn't get into many World Series at all. But that made them all the more thrilling and wonderful when we did finally get into them. 1951, 1950s. Well, the Giants have one of the greatest moments of all time with a shot heard around the world. So. You bet. You bet. And Willie Mays' catch in the 1954 World Series. It's called the greatest catch ever. So one is I mean, the greatest home run ever, and one is the greatest catch ever. That's pretty tough. I mean, if you were to line up the Giants and the Dodgers and you know compare them with um, top highlights, top highlights, you know, break it down. I think you would probably find more highlights of the Giants. And the Dodgers were bums for a pretty long time before they got good. So oh I my God, they were they were truly known as the bums, and uh, <laughs> that was their you know affectionate nickname. But boy, they earned it. Uh, they they didn't win a a, a pennant. Yeah, from... like last place for a couple of years in a row. I think. Oh yeah, and they were famous. Uh, there was uh, the play where they had three runners reach third base at the same time. So that you know, kind of reminds you of the '62 uh, Mets. Exactly, 
Exactly. It added to the Dodger image at that time of clowns. They had a very good outfielder. I mean, he was a hitter. He wasn't an outfielder. His name was Babe Herman, and he, and he once had a ball hit him in the head. And people, oh and people were, <laughs> could only happen in Brooklyn. I mean, at yeah. that time, uh, you're, you're, you know, obviously too young to remember, and I'm, I'm afraid I'm old enough to remember. <laughs> but when uh, people, but they had radio shows that were, uh, you know, quiz shows and uh, interview shows, and the people on it were asked where they were from, and they said Brooklyn, the entire audience would laugh. Oh, my God. I mean, Brooklyn was, you know, well, America, you know, people identified uh, the Brooklyn accent and the Dodgers, uh, uh, the, the clowns who played for them. They, uh, the country knew all about Brooklyn. If you look at the old, especially the World War II movies where there was, you know, uh, uh, an Italian guy and a Jewish guy and a guy from Brooklyn, uh, they had to include all these stock characters because Brooklyn was famous for being a kind of loony place. Yeah, no doubt about that. Um, and of course, uh, of course, it must have really eased the pain of Dodgers fans. I mean, I hear stories from around here because I'm from Brooklyn, but it must have really eased the pain uh, when they finally, finally beat the Yankees and Johnny Padres. Right, right. But, but I mean. You know, except for the Yankees, the Dodgers were the dominant team uh, from the uh, late 40s to the late 50s. Um, but they just couldn't get over the hump. That was the New York Yankees. Uh, they couldn't beat them until finally, as you know, Padres won the seventh game. And, and they did win one World Series against the Yankees, who they seem to be playing every year. Mm-hmm. Well, baseball is always number one in this town. I mean, even now... Um, you know, two teams that always take the back page from the other sports. But I, I can just imagine um, that how many times it took the front page during during this era uh, that you covered in the book. I mean, it must have taken the front page almost every day with the three teams neck and neck. Well, yeah, except huh, back then newspapers weren't quite as aggressive. Uh, so... You'd never have a Paris Hilton on page one in the old days. <laughs> yeah, baseball, baseball didn't make it to the front page unless it was the World Series or it was a, some an unbelievable event. Now, almost routinely, baseball is on page one. So uh, I think the editors have come to realize that sports sells newspapers. So if you can put your sports news on page one somewhere... Uh, people will be attracted to it. Well, I mean, uh, I always say this: uh, sports writers like yourself are, are probably one of the most recognized writers in the world. I mean, get world um, acknowledgement and you know, national acknowledgement from pretty much anywhere, especially in New York. Yeah, I, I, that would be a nice thing to think. Uh, I'd like to believe that. Uh, it, it is why I went. Into, I mean, I was growing up. I was a total sports nut, of course, and uh, stickball was my game. You know, I get, I get, I get emails and letters from people who, once in a while, will say say nasty stuff about something I wrote, and they'll say, "How could you? How could you rip these guys when you've never played the game?" And 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 I say, well, I I play the game. I play the game a lot. And I write everybody back. I usually say, 
I guess you never saw me play stickball. I, I was a terrific <laughs> stickball player. I can imagine. You know, I, I really think that um, you know sports writers need to get more credit than they're given because you now, especially the credibility factor when you've been in, when you've been doing it for a long time, then you you obviously, you obviously know exactly what you're talking about when it comes to the game. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, we're we're not uh, uh, we're not personalities the way. Uh, uh, Mike and the Mad Dog are, and uh, the guys on ESPN, and all the guys on the fan. You know, well, I, think, I, I think that's Bob Raisman's job. But <laughs> well, they work that side of the street, and uh, they do yeah, a yeah. good job at it. And and we're, you know, we do our thing. Definitely, no question about that, Vic. Once again, I got to thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to come on and join us today, and. Uh, now let's hope that Nelson can fit right in nicely in New York, and uh, we hope to maybe see you down the stretch. Thanks so much again for coming on this afternoon. My pleasure. Thank you. Great. Great. Thanks so much. That, of course, uh, was Vic Ziegel um, of the New York Daily News, published the book in um, 2004, Summer in the City, New York Baseball, 1947, 1957. You can buy it over at Amazon.com. We have a link to the book over at our show page. And uh, we got to thank Vic so much uh, for coming on and talking, you know, the old days. I'm, of course, a guy, you know, who grew up in, um, in an era, you can call me Generation X or Generation Y. But, of course, my dad um, still tells me plenty of stories about growing up. My dad actually grew up as a Phillies fan. But um, my uncle, my dad's brother, who's about four years younger than him, grew up as a big New York Giants fan, um, big fan, huge fan of New York Giants, and uh, actually now is a San Francisco Giants fan, and they have um, old baseball cards that I collect. I, I could sell them, but I'm not going to sell them because they're too valuable to sell. I have Willie Mays cards from uh, – Willie Mays rookie card from my uncle – uh, my dad had a lot of um, popular Phillies cards. He also was a Tigers fan as well. I don't know how he became a Phillies and Tigers fan, but eventually became a Yankees fan after uh, when he got older. But even in 1980, when the Phillies won the World Series, I guess he must have liked the teams he was growing when he was uh, growing up. Maybe I'll get my dad on the show sometimes talk about his uh, experience of living in New York as a Phillies and Tigers fan. Actually, they didn't sell Phillies hats here, so what he did is he took a uh, blank cap and put a red P on it. So that's uh, kind of interesting. But, yeah, he grew up as a Phillies and Tigers fan here in New York. And, um, I mean, just uh, interesting how he grew up that way. But my uncle, big New York Giants fan, um, only four years younger, um, got to only was only was very young when, he, when the Giants first started, um, when he first started watching baseball. But he got to experience the last couple of years of the Giants. Never got to experience a World Series uh, that, the, um, that the Giants won in New York. But when I went to San Francisco, he, of course, saw one World Series. The Giants haven't won for like 40 years. But uh, I'm sure he was a big fan of the 89 Series when they played the Oakland A's. But um, once again, that was Vic Ziegel who joined us, and we were sure to play that interview back on another one of our programs um, down the stretch. But uh, great job there. We'll take a quick break uh, here on the uh, Sports Docket. We have about two minutes left. Um, during this tape program, and uh, be right back after this. 
This is brought to you by My EDI Media, where media comes to play. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and thank you for tuning in to Sports Heaven with Mark and Evan Live. Yes, yes, good evening, fans, and welcome to another edition of Torn Apart. I'm your host, Jonathan Hauser, along with my co-host, Ronald. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Sports Talk NY this Wednesday night. Hope you're all uh, in for uh, the evening and going to hang with us and have a good time. Well, hello, everybody, and uh, how's it going tonight? This is Minor League Baseball Radio. Hey, yo, what's up? It's your boy, DJ Reggie, here on this Sunday night at 9 4 p.m. Central Time. How y'all doing out there, wherever you're at, in La La Land? Welcome, everybody, to the Coach Rogue Show. And what's up, everybody? 702, Sunday night, Matt and Jay Radio, back again live. And welcome to the Sports Docket here on Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Vince Lombardi Jr. Show. We are live from Rockland County, New York. Okay, and welcome. This is Frank and Sports Guy. Welcome to Sports Talk Live. And welcome to the Cemetery and Shadiness Radio Show on Blog Talk Radio. Hey, what's going on, people? My name is Kendrick Thomas. And welcome to this showdown here on Blog Talk Radio. You, you can't call him that after the Super Bowl loss. Of course, we are. We still have the Dynasty and Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. I mean, who was more successful this season, the Patriots or the Giants? Here's the question I posed. Here's one of the playoffs. Who would you rather have on the mound, Johan Santana or Ching Ming Wang? Well, who would you rather have, Moose or Pedro? I think Johan and Pedro are the answers. And there's, you know, everybody says, oh, you know, this guy's good, that guy's good. You know what? They're all a bunch of uh, dirtbags if you want my truthful opinion. And it says, yeah, I had knowledge of him using steroids, and that's it for Roger, no matter what he says, no matter what's right back he says. If you want seven years, 150 million, just give it to him. He's worth every penny. The guy is really unbelievable. So basically what he's saying is that as long as you're hurt, it's okay to use it. I have a right. sore knee. Let me, let me, let me put HGH in my body. Oh, I, I didn't know I was gonna make my biceps and triceps and my forearms three times the size they were. I know I, I used it because I had a sore knee. That's BS. Team that the people felt were the most poorly run after the Knicks were the Nets at 30 percent, uh, followed by the Jets at 27 percent, the Mets then at 16 percent, and I guarantee you, if Chad Johnson leaves this year, Carlton Palmer will struggle. First person we had a chance to talk to was manager of the Wilmington Blue Rocks, Daryl Kennedy. Now, Daryl Kennedy has managed—he managed Ricky Ball last year for the Royals organization. Justin Smith deserves to be in the Pro Bowl this season. I don't think he deserves it if he didn't get it. And, and, I, and I think one of the big things for the Mets is Jose Reyes. I mean, here's a guy, he had 78 stolen bases uh, last year. Right. He had 119 runs scored, but I don't think he really did anything in the month right. of September. Apple has teamed up with American Idol to provide American Idol performances on iTunes. Oh, Once again, Apple with their iTunes shoving it around, shoving it in the face. Remix by DJ Ray G. Take this out, baby. Just go to my 
And welcome back to uh, the Sports Talk. It's 5.40 p.m. on a Friday afternoon here in New York City. Um, now, uh, our next show will probably be on Thursday. As I said before, I'm going to be at a chess tournament in Atlanta that Thursday night. Um, so uh, what might happen is I will do the show with Stephen from Atlanta. I'm uh, maybe going to a Braves game that night, so I'm not sure how it's going to work out. I may be going to a Braves game that night, as I just said. I just beat it myself. A little redundancy there by the Quas. But uh, I will see what happens. I'll, I'll let everyone know if we're going to have the show or not. If not, see what we do in the show regardless. We'll have some guests with him. We're going to play back Vic Ziegel's interview. Uh, tremendous job by Vic um, talking the old days of baseball, the golden age that was in 1947 to 19. 19- 57. So, um, yes. And um, just so people know, Sports Head with Mark and Evan will be having a nice little program, as I already said before, and we're going to have a nice little program this Saturday afternoon at 3. Teddy Albert will be on their show, as Mark Elliott says in in his um, um, great sports casting voice. Kenny Albert will be on our show. That's how he says it. I didn't. I don't say that like that. But that's how he says it. But, yeah, but it's going to be a great show, uh, Saturday, Saturday afternoon at 3 p.m. Uh, from, so everybody can tune in. Uh, it's going to be a tremendous job. I'm not making fun of Mark. I'm not making fun of him. I'm just, uh, you know, uh, trying to be a great sportscaster here. <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm not making fun of you. I'm not getting under the skin. I don't do that. But um, now we're going to close out our program here. It's episode 39 and a half, if you want to call it. But a new little program we'll be doing. We'll have interviews on and off during the week. Uh, with great guests like Vic Ziegel of the New York Daily News. Uh, we might play them back on our programs. We're not sure yet, but um, this is uh, episode 39 and a half. I want to call our next episode. There are rumors going around that Stephen and myself are going to be coming live from Jay-Z's 4040 Club for episode 40. Those rumors are not true, uh, though they might be true. Um, uh, I'm not going to explain more. Jay-Z... Just got married, so we're not going to take up his club just yet. But um, uh, yeah, Mark, you hear the rumors, but they are—they might come true. Anyway, we're going to close out. Um, actually, it's kind of interesting that we did a Friday afternoon program because our first show with me was that Friday afternoon. But me and Steven's first real show was a Saturday night, and we're going to close out uh, with the beginning of that program. So we'll see everybody next time on the Sports Docket. Want to thank everybody once again for tuning in, and we will see you next time. On the sports docket with Ace Man and the Quas. So um, we'll see you then. This is um, Cliff back to our first show. I believe it was May uh, something. It's been like May, May 28, 2007. Or was it May 18th? You'll figure it out, but uh, listen in. Love Talk Radio. Yo. Hello and welcome to Sports Talk with Ace Man and the Quas. 
You're listening live on Block Talk Radio. Yeah, what's going on, Ethan? What's going on, Stephen? How are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing good after... I'm doing great. You know, look at the Empire State Building tonight. Look at Manhattan. It's going to be blue and orange. That's a great sight, you know? Of course, for any Mets. Yeah. And, and of course, the Mets today win their second straight against the Yankees, and it's good to be king. Yes, it's very good to be king of New York. Uh, Today, well, it started out as a blowout game, but it got close to the end, but the Mets nailed them down. Of course, the Yankees made it interesting, but... At the end, they had no chance. Well, the Yankees not playing very good this season, but with their uh, high-potent offense, they're never out of the game. But yeah, they showed today. They showed good resiliency. Uh, down eight to two, come back, uh, make it eight to six. You yeah. know, and uh, and the Mets uh, score two runs off the error by Cano. They make it ten six. Yankees make a close game, but Mets hold on ten seven. So how about Johnny Damon giving the Mets a home run today? Yeah, nice assist on the right shot in the field. <laughs> yeah, that was wonderful. Yeah. And nice. um, what's up with the Yankees and David Wright? Tr- Love Talk Radio. It's got kicked off, so we'll see you next week.